Hello and welcome to Frightfully Uninformed. I'm Martin. I'm Melinda. I'm Victoria. We're a couple of movie fans who don't really get why some people are so fanatically devoted to horror. We were on a mission to watch scary movies, starting at the beginning and moving through the years however the hell we feel like it. Please be warned, we will be swearing and spoiling up a storm. Today, we are discussing 2013's The Purge. Yes. Directed by James DeMonico. The Purge stars Ethan Hawke, Lena Headey, Adelaide Kane, Max Burkholder, Edwin Hodge, and Reese Wakefield. We'll get started by talking a little bit about what we know about this movie and what we expect from it. I remember when we started seeing trailers for this movie back in 2013. I got really excited for this movie. I liked the concept. It looked interesting. It looked scary. Like, at least a suspenseful kind of movie. Actually, no, it looked downright scary. It looked like a straightforward horror movie. People in masks and probably weapons and stuff. So then I went to see it. I think I've seen it at least once. I really like this movie. I hope you've seen it at least once if you went to see it. (laughs) Just went into the theater, like, put on headphones. I went to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I really like this movie. I love the concept of this movie. And I'm excited to watch it again because it's been a while. This movie is actually, it has scary parts, but it's mostly suspenseful. Oh, it's like the freaking gleeful return of Ethan Hawke. I hadn't seen him in a movie for like 10 years until this movie came out. Oh yeah, didn't you try to cast him a couple of times in like I Frankenstein? I like Ethan Hawke. When I was like 10 years old, Ethan Hawke was in this movie called White Fang, which is about a wolf. It's like oh, a boy Oh, there's who, a book about it, right? I think so. And it's a freaking good movie. And I had a huge crush on Ethan Hawke. There's no way that's a good and- movie. <laughs> I think it might have been a Disney movie. Anyway, happy to see him back. I wasn't allowed to watch it when it came out. <laughs> but I, I saw Purge Anarchy and that one was good. So I'm. So you've never seen this before? I've seen parts of it, but I haven't seen the full movie. Oh. Because like I said, I wasn't allowed to watch it. I think right. I was like on the computer when my parents were watching it. I don't know. I remember they were like in this room and there was this blonde lady and she seemed like really mad. Because, <laughs> oh, weren't they going to have, like, she was going to have, like, a party, right? Then she was mad for some reason. I don't remember why. And I can't even remember if that's the first one or the second one. Because I know they murder each other. Well, I'm not sure about in this one. As for me, I have seen this movie before. I remember being disappointed by it. I thought that it was high in concept and low in execution. Mm. I remember coming away from the theater and talking with my friends and coming up with like three or four better ideas for what the Purge movie should be than what this movie was. Well, like, I don't think the only thing people would do would be murdering. I think more people would want to like steal or whatever. They say specifically all crime is legal and everybody just immediately goes to murder. It seems kind of... I feel like someone, it would be like Black Friday where people are like trampled each other for like xboxes though except a more extreme because people can kill each other so someone bring like a knife and like no that xbox is mine yeah black friday might be the closest thing we have to the purge right now. Right. die on black friday there's this lady that i remember a few years ago she pepper sprayed someone they had like a playstation or something that she wanted and she didn't even end up buying it that lady used to purge after she looked at it she's like oh this isn't what i wanted <laughs> so yeah th- this story Speaking of not what I wanted, this story was not really what I wanted from this movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't really expect anything different this time. I mean, I don't think I've seen this movie since I've seen the second Purge movie. Oh. Which, by the way, was really close to one of the ideas that I came up with after I saw the movie. But I don't think this movie is going to be that interesting, really. I know that the reason why this movie was so simple in its execution was because they saved a lot of money from it. And they got a lot more money to do the second one because of the success of the first one. That's why the second one was so much better. But um, I'm hoping that I can still get something from it. I hope maybe some of the previous movies I've watched can inform this movie a little bit. Maybe Manhunter. I remember that blonde guy seemed a little Hannibal Lecter-ish. 
I mean, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that this concept is an excellent concept. It's it's, it's a very great concept. fun to think about. Excellent and concept. And turn over in your Poor head. Execution. Exactly. It's like something your teacher would write on your paper. <laughs> yeah. Apply yourself, movie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's fun to think about this concept. Like every time you get annoyed at someone in traffic, every time your coworker pisses off, your mind goes to purging and you want to (laughs) execute. I mean, we can all admit that there's times when we're angry enough to do something horrific. I think Jeffrey Dahmer would love a purge. Oh, yeah. He lived his life like the purge. You know, I'm not saying. Live like Jeffrey. (laughs) No. I'm not saying that I have engaged in the purge, but let's just say that maybe Prince didn't really overdose. All right. So let's go watch this movie. Yes. And we're back. We just finished watching the purge. Yep. Melinda, do you want to get us started with a story summary? In 2022, the United States of America celebrates once a year the purge, a 12-hour period when any crime is allowed, including murder. The result is economical growth in a society free of homeless, sick, and unproductive persons. James Sandin is a successful salesman that sells security systems for houses. He lives with his wife, Mary, and his teenage son, Charlie, and daughter, Zoe, in a fancy house in the suburb. (laughs) The suburb. The suburb. During the purge, James seals the house and plans to watch a movie with his family. (laughs) When did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, remember he was like, why don't you go? I'll be there soon to watch a movie with you guys or something like that. Oh, well, that didn't work out. (laughs) However, Charlie sees a stranger fleeing from a group that is hunting him down and he disarms the security device and lets the man in. But the leader of the group gives an ultimatum to James. If he does not deliver the man to the group, they would kill the whole family. Now James has to find where the man is hidden and decide his fate. (laughs) That's it? Yeah, actually, that was pretty long. So with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about the actors and their performances. Starting at the top, Mr. Ethan Hawke as generic dad. (laughs) James Sandin. How do you think he did? I think he did good. I mean... Well, as I said before, I'm happy to have Ethan Hawke back in my life. He's not in your life. He is whenever (laughs) I put the DVD on. So, (laughs) I thought he was good. He played kind of a tight-laced salesman guy who's trying to earn as much as he possibly can to kind of keep his family on the up and up. And then he has to make a turn at some point during the movie to keep his family alive. So he did that well and I liked him. I didn't think he did well too. You can tell he still wants to be rich too because when they're buying the boat, he was like, can you imagine like 10 years ago, we were struggling to pay rent and now we're thinking about buying a boat. So you can see that he did work hard to get where he is. Or that he values money. That money is important to this guy. I don't think there was really anything interesting about this character or his performance. I thought it was bland. It was generic. Like so many Ethan Hawke performances, it's really what happens in the plot that drives it, not the character portrayal himself. He seems really good at playing this like this generic white guy who's somewhat likable, <laughs> but for no specific reason. So I think he did the same thing here. Nothing special. He's like, just like a generic dad. Yeah, he's just dadding it up. Yeah. Daddy. Yeah, he's dadding. 
Next on the bill, we have the wife, Lena Headey. I guess she's on Game of Thrones. And then I remembered that she was also the wife in 300. Oh, was she? Yeah. She was better than that. In this movie, she's very stiff. I find her to be kind of uppity, a little snobby, detached. It seems like, yeah, her her belongings and money are very important to her. And, and appearance. And appearances. She had a mom haircut, though. Yeah. Did she do anything interesting in this movie? I thought she she was interesting. Like, she had more depth to her than I might have initially thought. I disagree. I think this movie fits in kind of well because just like Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, the concept is interesting and the execution is kind of bland. Not to tip my hand a little bit, but I think her performance is on par with a lot of the other old classic horror movies we saw, which is a little disappointing, truth oh. be told. No, she was much more subtle than that. <laughs> well, subtlety, yeah, the acting has advanced, but in yeah. terms of interesting things for the character to do, yeah. I don't know what was driving here other than the fact that she was a mom and she wanted to protect her kids. There was nothing really interesting about her character or the way she played it. Well, I mean, that's sort of the thing about this movie. We didn't really have time to get a lot of read on any of these characters. And it kind of didn't really matter because that's not really what the movie's about. That's, I think that's the core of it, that it doesn't matter who these people are or what's interesting about them. So yeah. like these actors, they just all ended up being kind of bland. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. They didn't cast A-list people here. We probably wouldn't know they, her they name. They should have thrown in a superstar and cast Molly Shannon. <laughs> Next on the bill is Max Burkholder, who played Charlie, their weirdo son. <laughs> well, when he looked kind of like Skrillex. <laughs> and then you can tell he's smart. He built like a RC drone on wheels. He's got long, dark hair and dark features. He seems very sensitive and quiet. Maybe even a little Asperger's-y. I think Asperger's he <laughs> helps describe this kid pretty well. He's just functioning. a little touch. I would describe his character as functioning. <laughs> He's very functional. But he was very sensitive and sweet, too. I guess. I liked him. He didn't seem really excited about the robot thing because I remember he went down and he showed his mom. He's like, look what I added to it. She's like, okay. <laughs> That's nice, weirdo. It's like, I'm trying to cook. Go. <laughs> then we have his older sister, Adelaide Kane. Again, boring, bland, not really very interesting. Like, everybody in this movie was pretty much hitting the same notes. She was a pretty attractive young lady, and they had her running around in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit the entire movie. So it's very that. clear what we're supposed to be thinking about with her. She was really pretty, though. Beautiful. Oh, my God. Say. She was beautiful. But, you know, I don't think the mom was. Mom was very unusual looking, but this girl was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I dispute the fact that Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey have the genes to make somebody who looks like this. This girl was like Megan Fox's cousin. Well, it's possible. I mean, the son wasn't particularly attractive. Oh, so like all the good genes went to one sibling and the other sibling got all the uggo genes? That could happen. Well, he's or... smart. So... <laughs> That's true. Thank God he's smart. I think you just need like a haircut. Next we have Edwin Hodge who played the homeless guy. Repeating the theme that I've been saying here, one note. This guy was one note. One interesting thing about his character is that he seemed to have a sense of honor because once the family started defending him, he seemed to stand by the family instead of holding it against them that yeah. they tried to kill him in the first place. But other than that, there was nothing special about him. I don't know. I kind of like the character. I, I don't think they included enough to where you can fully see his personality. But then again, as you're saying, like that's with a lot of the characters. They're bland. One-dimensional. Well, yeah. I mean, most of the movie, they're just kind of like running around trying to stay alive. And definitely the same with him. So I the mean, movie's more about like their desperation for life rather than them. 
I feel like they're sort of just a part of the larger story, which is this purge evening. I suppose, but that's a poor approach given the fact that they cast actors to be in this movie. Maybe give them something interesting to do so that we're we're interested in the actors themselves. But nobody stood out as being a bad actor. They all carried their weight. They no, all... the kid stood out as being bad. I did not like that kid at all. I said I didn't have that problem. But Which one? Zoe or Charlie? Charlie, the weirdo. Kid was just weird for weird's sake. Well, as for this guy, I mean... His character was intriguing. He was dressed interesting. He had scars on his face. I was kind of curious as to what was going on there. He wore dog tags. They kept saying he was homeless. I don't know but if that's he actually not, was. That's not in the acting. That's in the costume design and the dialogue. Like that's that, true. The acting. What did this guy do that was interesting? Not much. Because he was also, he was running like on the street saying like, help me. Like it implied that he didn't have anywhere to go. And he was like desperate. That could be. Fighting for his life, really. Yeah. The last guy on the bill is Reese Wakefield playing the leader of the Purge group. Finally, we have somebody with an interesting performance to talk about. Yeah. This guy, it seemed like he was having fun with his whole American psycho act. This guy was interesting. He was fun. He was creepy as all hell. He was willing to take off his mask, too. And was it just me, or did it seem like the mask he was wearing pretty much looked like how he looked without the mask? It was just like, you know, like those little caricature drawings you get like, birthday parties yeah. or something? <laughs> it looked like he had someone do that, and then he got, like, a custom order mask. It's like, I need you to make this. He's like an exaggerated version of himself. It was funny. But yeah, he had an interesting part to play with. He did lots of creepy, like wide-eyed, jerky head movements, sort of like a bird or a lizard or something. He got to deliver a lot of lines. I mean, he might have talked the most out of anybody in this movie. He was oftentimes seen through like a fisheye because it was on the security camera. And I did sort of want to know, like, what is this guy's deal? Like, what is he like on a day-to-day basis? Because in this setting, he's extremely creepy, and I can't imagine him out in the world. Yeah, the way he played this character, I got impressions that he was, like, wealthy. He was entitled. I got the impression that he was on some kind of drugs, that he had an emotional detachment from reality. Maybe he was slightly psychopathic. That is interesting acting. That is conveying something through acting none of the rest of the characters gave me anything but this guy at least he brought something to the table you know that's true i really liked the character especially when he was like talking the dad went over there and looked outside he's like oh i'm glad you accepted my invitation and then he started talking and he's like if you don't let me in we're gonna come in ourselves but like the way he was saying it was just kind of disturbing it was threatening and menacing but without being aggressive and that's what makes him more creepy it's like i don't even have to show force to beat you like your your defeats your defeats guaranteed the tony is definitely added to it he's yeah. using like a more not casual tone but like detached yeah yeah definitely if there was someone to highlight as the best performance of this movie i would definitely hand it to him would you say that he sort of had something bubbling underneath like he was purposely acting in a calculated way Maybe, maybe it just seemed like more intimidating. That's why I felt like he was on drugs is because his manners were affected, but it didn't seem like it could always be calculated. I felt like his mind was in a different space and that's just the way it came out. Maybe. So if you guys had to choose a favorite performance in this movie, who would it be? I think it was him. Charlie. Ugh. I think I would like to have a kid like him. He would be so interesting. I know that we were supposed to be like freaked out by that kid, but really, and if you look at him, there's nothing wrong with he him. Seemed he seemed like the really nicest creative. character. Yeah, and very sweet. Seemed like a stone cold weirdo. <laughs> All right, so now that that's out of the way, you guys want to play a quick round of fantasy casting? Woo! Yes. So, Victoria, since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you get us started? For the mom, I chose Chris Jenner. Now, I think she has an attitude <laughs> that the mom could. Wait, I don't wait. know. 
Okay, one, she looks like the mom, too. She doesn't exactly have, like, as bad as an attitude as her daughters, but, like, she has an <laughs> attitude that I think the mom could have used. That's hilarious. That's so not it, bad. It's sort of a take-charge lady who knows how to stop her daughters from acting I mean, like I don't brats. like the Kardashians. For the dad, I don't know his real name. I didn't look it up. The guy that plays Phil Dunphy in Modern Family, because he's, like, oh, a Oh, Ty Burrell. Yeah, yeah, him. Because, like, okay, in Modern Family, you can tell he really cares about his family, too, as in this. And then he's a realtor, so he's still selling something. So I feel like... <laughs> you know what's funny is Tyrell had a turn in a horror movie. He played this, like, narcissistic jerk in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Him? Yeah. Yeah. And his portrayal was totally different from Phil Dunphy. I know. If you saw him in that movie, it's almost hard to believe that he plays Phil Dunphy. It's hard to look at. So, who's next? The leader, I just picked someone that looked like him, and I feel like Owen Wilson, because <laughs> the way he was talking, it would have been more intimidating than, like, <laughs> Owen Wilson's voice. I don't, I'm not gonna impersonate him. Wow. <laughs> wow. You guys have our homeless guy. Wow. I liked his performance in Marmaduke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I can see it. The homeless guy, I'd say Tom Hardy. This is just based off of Mad Max's personality. Ah. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the way Max acts in Fury Road is like similar to kind of how this guy acts. Max acting or Maxting. Maxting. He's a great Maxter. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. I like that Tom Hardy. I have the weirdest cast I've ever made because Martin made a comment that I always pick people based on their appearances. Which is true. So I challenged myself (laughs) to pick people based on only their appearances for this movie. No. That is the opposite of what I intended with the comment. (laughs) Well, for the mom, I cast Olivia Wilde because she looks a lot like this woman. I mean, she doesn't have to have the black helmet head, but I think she looks a lot like this woman. The mom. Olivia Wilde had black helmet hair in Tron Legacy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So she might be okay with that hair. Her acting would be fine. For the dad, (laughs) I cast Mark McGrath from the band Sugar Ray. Mark McGrath with Olivia Wilde. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. (laughs) Okay. You know, Mark McGrath is almost 50 and Olivia Wilde's 30, right? I don't know how old they are, but... They, totally age-inappropriate casting. You cast an old man with a young woman. <laughs> um, so Mark McGrath looks a lot like Ethan Hawke. <sighs> I don't know if he's going to have like the spiky hair with the frosted tips. Probably not. I don't know how Mark McGrath acts. Next would be the bloody stranger, or the homeless guy we've been referring to him. This guy looks like him, but I don't even know how to say his name. And I haven't seen the movie that he was in, which was 12 Years a Slave. So I'm just going to go for it and try to say this name. So Chiwetel Elijah Fu. Chiwetel Ejwafor. That guy. He looks a lot like the guy who played this role. And that's all I was going off of. So for the polite leader, actually, I kind of screwed myself here because this guy doesn't look anything like the actor from the movie. I cast Cillian Murphy again because I just think he is the creepiest looking guy. He's got oh, these weird blue eyes, and I find him to be scary, even you when he's not really playing a scary role. You really dislike Murphy. I find him to be creepy, even when he's not being You creepy. cast him before as Simon in the Prophecy? You really like casting him as a creep. But the, th- the reason why I never really like that casting is because he always plays a very cold creep. There's never a lot of emotion. He's very well, controlled. That would, that would actually work for this. Yeah, I guess. So there we go. All right, so Here's my turn. My motley crew. So for the dad, I wanted to cast somebody who has like flexible morals. I, it seems like to me like the only thing important to this dad is caring for his family and making money. And that's it. Everything else is negotiable. But I wanted somebody who could be like protective and strong and also emotional. So I cast Michael Chiklis. <laughs> 
Okay, so for the mom, uh, she's worried, she's entitled, she's really self-conscious. Kind of a flimsy character. I casted Lisa Edelstein, <laughs> who played Cuddy in House. Yeah, I like that. Then for the homeless guy, you know, this guy's righteous and also resentful. I feel like he has a strong moral character. This movie, I think, played a lot with the racial undertones with this character because he's like the only black guy in the movie and he's kind of treated as an object. So in keeping with the racial theme, I casted a younger, like a 90s era, Danny Trejo. Machete. (laughs) That took me a second. What's the logic in that one? The logic is that this guy is a veteran, he's strong, he knows how to fight, he's ethnic, it helps to cast somebody who's not white, and he looks beat up. He looks like he's been through some stuff, he looks like a guy who's (laughs) down on his luck. Well, he's got the scar thing down. He's dangerous, but if he's on your- you'd be glad if this guy was on your side. Yeah. And finally, the leader of the Purge group, the psychopath guy with the creepy detachment and his weird mannerisms- He's overly polite when he doesn't have to be, very gentle and soft when he's being threatening. Okay. So I cast Michael Sarah. <laughs> Michael Sarah is a killer? Yeah. I'm yeah, dying for okay, this guy to work. play a killer or... I think that'd be interesting because he's always like a dork. So he'd probably like shoot someone and be like, I'm really sorry if that hurt. That could be scary. Exactly. It would be unsettling how gentle this guy would be as a killer. Imagine him staring into the camera and saying... You have until our provisions arrive to turn over our purge so that we may purge ourselves. That actually could be pretty cool. So, now that that's out of the way, do you guys want to hear some trivia about this? Okay. Yeah. There's really not a whole lot about this movie. Uh, Just a handful of facts I had to cobble together. So... The director, James DeMonico, got the idea for the story after his wife made a remark about an episode he had with Road Rage. Oh. I guess he wrote and directed this movie. It's his brainchild. That's pretty cool. In 2013, this movie and its theme was turned into a scare zone at Universal Studios Halloween (gasps) Horror Nights. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a purge zone section in Halloween Horror Nights. Do they still do that? I think so. They did it last year. Oh, that would be fun. The alarm code that Ethan Hawke's character enters into his home security is 10-13-82. This might be a reference to October 13th, 1982, which was the date Ronald Reagan addressed the nation on the economy when he announced trickle-down economics, which screwed over the poor. Interesting. So that might be an intended reference to the classist aspects of this story. (laughs) In July 2014, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater produced a play called Seinfeld the Purge. (laughs) The play was written by John Ford and directed by Justin Donaldson. It focused on what each Seinfeld character would do during the purge. Oh my god. For example, genius. George tries to kill a former friend from the episode The Couch. (laughs) Oh my god. That is such an awesome idea. What creativity. The Purge itself was referenced a couple of times in Rick and Morty, episode nine of season two. (gasps) Oh my God, I loved that episode. Where the two characters (laughs) become trapped in a Purge world. Do you remember it? Yeah, yeah, he's like, look, it's Purge world. And Morty's like, no, we need to go home. And he's like, no, we're not going to get hurt. Let's just watch. Rick finds this guy that lets them borrow his rooftop so that they can like fix their ship to go home. Mm -hmm. 
In order to do that, the guy's making Morty listen to his entire screenplay of a script he wrote, but it's so long that Morty keeps falling asleep and the guy's like, oh, are you getting bored? So he tries to kick Rick and Morty out saying like, <laughs> oh, your grandson's getting bored. Like you need to leave. He's really disrespectful. I can't remember if it's Rick or Morty that ends up killing the guy so that they can still <laughs> use his rooftop. And then they go to like this big banquet where there's like a bunch of government leaders stuff and they just slaughter them all. <laughs> Like, they slaughter them all, and then they do a dance on the floor that's, like, covered in blood. So, The Purge, 2013. This movie opens up with the Universal logo. We're back in Universal Horror Territory. We are. It's not a monster movie, per se. That's why they were allowed to use The Purge Night. So, we have the pedigree of Universal Studios and their... Illustrious career... And then, immediately after that, they counter all the goodwill with the Universal logo by showing the Platinum Dunes logo. <laughs> Michael Bay's production company, Platinum Dunes, is renowned for making crappy, low-budget remakes of classic horror films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Amityville Horror, Friday the 13th. They have this philosophy to just hit it and quit it. They take about $30 million, and they hire some crappy actors and turn out a crappy script, but they're branded with a horror movie franchise that people love. Guaranteed, the movie's going to make $100 million every single time. It's basically an ATM for them. This movie opens up in America 2022. It opens up with a title screen that says that the new founding fathers have come into power in America and installed the purge. Yeah, for the good of the people or something like that. A once a year event where all crime is legal and Americans are allowed to go on a killing spree and do whatever they want for a 12 hour period. Yep. And because of this, America has had the lowest unemployment in history. And yeah, in the entire <laughs> history of America 1%. and the lowest crime rate. So then the movie treats us to an opening montage. It's showing us surveillance camera footage of people from different parts of the country, different dates, getting Virgin. killed. What I noticed is the very first date this shows is 2017. Yeah. Which is next year. Next year. I don't like that. <laughs> so what's happening in November this year? Is there, oh, is there an event yeah. happening this year? I don't know. What's happening in November of 2016? Is that when we normally hold our presidential elections? And these new founding fathers? Do we have anybody in our political realm who would, who would like to position themselves as a new founding father? Yeah, but a bill, like, it wouldn't get passed that quickly. So basically, what I'm trying to say is stock up on security systems now. <laughs> so, speaking of security systems, we're introduced to Ethan Hawke, who sells purge protection systems. James Sandin. Sure, why not? I'm just... <laughs> Got to keep calling him Ethan Hawke. <laughs> that's fine. Because that's all he does in this movie. He just is Ethan Hawke. Yep. So he sells purge security systems. He's on his way home. Seems like he's in a chipper mood, making business calls on his car phone. He's on his way home into the gated community where they live. So we know this guy is very rich. We know he's well off. Yeah. As he's driving home, he's listening to the radio. And the radio announcer is taking calls and people are calling in like saying... like a talk show. Yeah, exactly. Alex Jones is in there. He's talking about how aliens started the purge and it has to do with the pyramids. The pyramids are filled with serial killers. Reptile people. Some callers are calling in talking about how the poor suffer more from the purge night than anybody else because they can't afford protection and they're basically out there on their own. Yeah. And the radio announcer was like, all right, all right, that's enough of that. And he like shuts the guy off, you know? And then one of the callers calls in and says that he's planning to kill his boss. People are being really cavalier about this whole murder thing, you know? Yeah. It's 
selling this idea, I think, that if people were allowed to murder, they would immediately accept it as something being okay and be enthusiastic about. I don't know about immediately, but by this point, 2022, people are pretty, like, well entrenched in this tradition. You have to realize that people have had four years of Trump at this point. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'd be ready to kill after four years of Trump. It is almost like if Trump took over. It could have been like the year they introduced it, people were like kind of reluctant and like only a few people were like willing. In the sequel, they addressed a little bit of that and they hint at something bigger going on behind the scenes. But this movie doesn't touch on that at all. This movie is just like the purge is great. Everybody loves the purge. Let's purge it up. Let's get our purge on. And it's disquieting because these people just seem like normal people. Yeah. They could be your neighbors. It could be your friends. We're all hiding this murderous rage. Yeah. It's almost like, I'll be friendly with you, but keep your distance because I don't want you into my life, which also seems like a very American sensibility. This, give me my personal space. You're only a- allowed in my life as far enough as I want. Well, aren't people usually already murdered by people like they know or they're close to rather than like a stranger? No, you're thinking of Christmas gifts. Anyway. No, it's true. <laughs> so he gets home and the TV's on. And it's talking about how the purge is set to commence in one hour. Mm-hmm. The mom and dad are talking to each other and mom says something about how the daughter's pouting over a boyfriend that she has. Apparently, the dad doesn't want this daughter to be with her boyfriend because he's, quote, too old for her. He's 18. She's probably like 15, 16. That's nah, kinda... I think she's 20 and he's 21. <laughs> and like, real? <laughs> I think that she was supposed to be like 15, 16 and he's supposed to be 18 or over 18? He's 18. Well, so he's probably out of high school. That doesn't seem like a big deal to me, but whatever. Doesn't Ethan Hawke know that the more you forbid your daughter from seeing somebody, the more she's going to want to? That's the worst possible approach. (laughs) Well, I don't know if he's winning any awards as, like, best father of the year. He's especially a completely oblivious parent because up in the daughter's room, she's got her boyfriend snuck in, and they're making out and, oh, God, being super goddamn annoying. Yeah. It's like, we we should growl, like... What? Yeah, the boyfriend doesn't want to say I love you because everybody says I love you. We should have our own thing. Like, it's important what other people do. Instead of just being honest with each other, they need to create a show. So instead of (laughs) saying I love you, they growl at each other to try to be cute. (laughs) Is this really what Hollywood thinks people are like? Do you know what I thought? I seriously thought that that was like his excuse to not have to say I love you to her. And he could still like get in her pants. He could just be like... Hey, here's my cool thing. I'm going to growl and that means I love you. But I'm not really saying I love you. (laughs) If if that's the implication, it's still playing off this idea that women want to say I love you and guys are afraid of saying it. Like, that's a real thing. That's not a real thing. I don't know if it's so much that. It's just like he's a teenage boy trying to get into her pants. So this guy climbs down the balcony and jumps five stories off of their gigantic mansion because he is in fact Spider-Man. He shoots a webbing and swings away. (laughs) Outside the house, the wife runs into some of the neighbors. They seem friendly at first and then the neighbor starts making these catty remarks about how well they're doing and how big their house is. She says something about how the neighbors feel like they paid for the Sandins house, which by the way, this family are called the Sandins. I don't think I mentioned that up to this point. How the neighborhood paid for their house because they made the money off of selling purge security systems to people. Hmm. Isn't that what happens when you buy something from someone? (laughs) No, but they had to buy it. It was like they didn't have a choice. Yeah, but they didn't have to buy it off of him. No, no, they did. I mean, there were no alternatives. He's the (laughs) only guy who sells stuff. He's the, the only one. He's the only salesman on the planet. He sells everything and everybody hates him for it. 
Yeah, these neighbors are very much the typical stereotype of fake, nice, rich people. Stereotype is probably going to be a word that's going to come up a lot during this movie. Yeah. Keep that in mind. So the wife goes back into the house where she runs into her weirdo, creepo son. So at this point in the movie, we're sort of introduced to this interesting perspective from this little like robotic machine that the boy has created. It sort of looks like a little mini tank that he has glued a baby doll head on top of. And then burned half of its face off. Burned half of the baby doll's face off and like screwed some little metallic bits and pieces onto it. I mean, it's really creepy looking. Like it scares you. And I don't know if it's just supposed to create like a creepy vibe or what the point of this thing is. No, I got to stop you there. This thing is not as creepy looking as it is obviously trying to be creepy. Mm -hmm. They're pushing really hard this like creepy doll angle, which doesn't belong in this movie. Save that for Chucky or Annabelle. This is a horrible (laughs) stereotype. The thing does contribute to the movie later on, though. But does it need to be a doll? It doesn't need to look like that, but I did appreciate the fact that they had this contraption in the movie because it gave you some interesting perspectives and it kind of contributed to the plot in an interesting way. So anyway, the mom's busy chopping up her low-carb, no-carb dinner, which is like a giant bowl of broccoli and some other vegetables. It did not look like anything I wanted to eat. And at this Wheat point... Wheatgrass shots. Uh, yeah. The boy comes in and he's standing behind the refrigerator door. She closes the door, sees him there. and Yeah, we get a little fake jump scare, but the jump scare that we get is of this boy. Jump scares are used to make you feel unsettling about a person or a thing. Are we supposed to be afraid of this boy? Is that why they have this jump scare in here? I really don't know what they were trying to accomplish with that. It's just sort of like a cute little thing. You know, I'm also viewing, I thought it was kind of a funny little jump scare that they put in the beginning. Is this how far we've gotten with jump scares is that they are no longer meaningful? They're just a thing that we stick into a movie and they don't mean anything? They're not supposed to scare us? I've seen jump scares used a number of times in like sort of a comical way. Yeah. Which is fun. I guess, but when they're obviously comical, this one was not comical. This was just out of nowhere. It's strange. They threw in this jump scare for this boy just to play off of a stereotype the parents were also being really dismissive later on when during dinner he's keeping a log of his vitals the mom and dad look at each other and like roll their eyes at each other (laughs) well the dad seemed more like what is he doing and the mom was more like just let him they both rolled their eyes but it was like different kinds of eye rolls yeah i I picked up on that too so why is this kid taking his vitals like a hypochondriac he could be a hypochondriac or maybe he's just eccentric and he thinks it's interesting yeah that's what i thought the first time around but what if he actually is ill what if he has a sickness and he's worried about it and that's why he's keeping a log of his vitals well if that's true they did a terrible 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 job of portraying that he was actually ill i know so why include this part of his character why have the fact he's keeping his vitals it raises the question is he sick is he weird is he a hypochondriac and there's no answers for that yeah so after dinner they're getting ready for the purge night they go off into their security system room this is like their headquarters their control console Ethan Hawke opens up a safe and pulls out a gun and keeps it with him. He says, just in case, right? And then they set the whole house to lock down. Here's what their security system looks like. (laughs) These big metal plates that go over all the doors and all the windows and basically like makes their house unenterable. And I don't understand exactly how this is, how the security system is installed in the house because it didn't look like there was enough space above the windows and doors to have a full sheet of unbent metal or no, steel or whatever it not was. Not at all. So how do they even install that? Like it's inside the wall? I- and how could you even call that a security system? It's a series of barricades and a video camera system and with microphones, but nothing else. 
I mean, most security systems have the function of calling for help, but clearly during the purchase stuff, they can't call for help. So why not have some defensive capabilities, bright lights, maybe pepper spray nozzles or some kind of... Oh, that's a good point. Some something kind of like defensive. Taser guns that could shoot out or that they could aim at something. Those are all good observations. That would make sense. Yeah, but this but really is just like sort of a lockdown. Then the purge starts. It's sort of like an emergency broadcast system notification that you get on your TV sometimes for like a flash flood. They give the thing where it's basically saying, these are the weapons you're allowed to use. You can't attack these people. These services will be unavailable. It's a full set of instructions, Ikea style. It has a (laughs) diagram of a guy pointing a gun at somebody else. And then the next one is his brains blowing out. So I have questions about this. Purge starts at 7 p.m., right? I don't know where in the country they're supposed to be, but it starts at 7 p.m. In the United States, including Hawaii, there are five different time zones. Yes. So does it start at the same time across the country? So on the East Coast, it starts at 4 and on the West Coast, it starts at 7? Or does it start at 7 p.m. in each time zone? I don't know how they would handle it. It seems to me it would have to start at the same time. So they would have to adjust for time zones. If it switches by time zone, then like a person who (laughs) wanted to escape the purge could just keep moving across the country or they could step into a different time zone. And also, it really seemed like this was only an American thing, right? Yes. So how do they handle like border security, border towns? I have no idea. This would be a really difficult task to figure out. A person who wants to avoid the purge could just cross the border or like a foreigner who wants to participate in the purge could cross the border just before the purge starts. These are things that they just don't even bother to address. There's a lot of questions if you start to really think about how you could make something like this work. Because, you know, they said like emergency service won't be available. If you're already hospitalized, like do they kick you out or are you allowed to stay in the hospital? Do they lock down the hospital? I would feel like a hospital should be exempt. It didn't say anything about that. And if they locked down the hospital, what about the people who are in the hospital? Are they locked from each other? Yeah, I have no idea. That's another one. I feel like they might be like too weak to actually fight. Some people might. Some people might not. What if uh, there's a doctor who's really stressed out and wants to go from room to room killing patients? Yeah, I don't know. He's like, your family won't pull the plug. I'll do it for you. Either you have to allow it or... I don't see how you could allow it, though, because there's people in there who are potentially too vulnerable. So this announcement goes off and says... All crime is legal during this 12-hour period. Certain weapons are allowed and some government officials are exempt. But other than that, basically, it's all bets off. Do whatever you like. Yeah. All crime is legal? It didn't say that any specific crimes weren't legal. It said all crimes were legal, including murder. Parking violations. But what about all other possible crimes? Like kidnapping. Obviously, rape was covered, not in this movie or future movies, but what about theft? What about embezzlement? What about drug trafficking? Like anything with long-term effects. Exactly. Because if you kidnap someone and you keep them past that night, are you still like excused from it or not? Because you're still holding that person after purge night. And what a horrible, horrible thing to just say all crime is legal. Like if you're locked in with your family and one of your family members decides he wants to like tie you up and torture you. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. And then when purge night is done, you just have to sit there and live with the guy like nothing happened. (laughs) What about burning down a national forest? This movie only covers murdering basically, but all crime is legal. That's a huge thing. Yeah. It's almost so huge that it's hard to even conceptualize. What about like a company that decides to use this night to dump all their toxic runoff into a water supply and poison millions of people? I mean, if they say all crime's legal, then technically all these things are legal. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. On first glance, this appears simple, but when you really start digging into it, this stuff gets so complicated. It's so hard to sort out. It really is better just to stay away from it and kind of keep it simple. Back to the movie, I guess. (laughs) Um... The weirdo creepo son, 
he is upset by the purge. He doesn't like it. And he's asking the parents, like, would you purge and blah, blah, blah. And the parents are defending the purge or saying how great America is now because of the purge. And you don't remember what it was like. And this is what we have to do. But that's kind of hypocritical because they're trying to stay in their house away from it. And yeah. they, they lie to him. They say that if they felt the need to purge, they would do it. And I have to agree with Victoria. That is hypocritical of them. I mean, they say they support the purge, but yet they've installed this massive security system on their home. Well, they have to support the purge because that's the source of their income. Yeah. They they have to give a big hearty thumbs up to the purge because otherwise they'd be (laughs) struggling to make rent, like they said, instead of buying a boat. Well, that's what I mean. They kept referring to on these like news reports and stuff on the TV and radio. They were referring to purge detractors. Wouldn't that just be somebody who doesn't partake in it? Or is that someone who's like actively trying to stop it? To me, that sounds like somebody who's critical of the purge, somebody who speaks out against it. But at the same time, it's like, if you don't participate in it, you are sort of detracting. It's almost like you're not allowed to speak out against the purge. Yeah. Because people might pull away from you. People might start thinking negatively of you. Mm -hmm. Huh, I wonder if there's any parallels to that in American life. (laughs) Anyway, this is where the pieces start to fall into place in the plot. We find out the daughter's boyfriend has snuck into their house before lockdown, and he creeps upon the daughter and freaks her out in another one of these ineffectual jump scares. She's sort of hanging out in her room listening to music, and he just pops out and is like, aren't you happy to see me? (laughs) Then it goes back to Ethan Hawke. He's sitting in this surveillance room watching the TV. And the TV is talking about how some people think that the purge deliberately targets the poor. This seems to be a popular dissenting opinion. Which makes sense. The rich people can afford to install security systems and lock themselves behind doors. They can afford doors. weapons, too. Exactly. Yeah. What are the poor people going to do? Who do you think is out there on those surveillance cameras beating people up in the street and stabbing people and shooting people down? It ain't fucking Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Install Windows 10. <laughs> <laughs> So we get this montage of what everybody's doing. The wife jumps on a treadmill because she's so self-conscious about her looks. If she even gains five pounds, she's going to purge herself. During dinner, they talked about how the dinner has not a single carb in it. No carbs in this dinner. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's gulping down a big fish bowl of wine. You think that maybe there's carbs in that wine? (laughs) She didn't have any carbs in her food, so she could afford to drink all her carbs. Maybe, that's why. So then we go to the daughter and her boyfriend in her room, and they're about ready to start purging their clothes. (laughs) The boyfriend stops and says that he came here to talk to her dad, that he can't keep them apart. And then it flashes to what the kid's doing. The kid has driven his weird creepy baby doll drone into the surveillance room where he sees this homeless guy running from a pack of killers. He's on the street. He's yelling. He's asking people for help. So this homeless guy, he's not just homeless. He's a bloody black guy, which is significant because up to this point in this movie, we haven't seen any black characters. The kid, he's well established that he's anti-purge. He decides to open up the security gates and yep. let this guy in. And the parents freak out. The kid runs over to the front door. The guy runs in and slides under the door, Indiana Jones style. <laughs> this is the moment when the boyfriend decides to start walking Walking down the stairs to confront yeah, the dad. This is the moment when he decides, in air quotes, that he's going to go talk to the dad. Right as this homeless man has run into the home and the parents are sort of standing there gaping at what just happened, the boyfriend comes trotting out of the daughter's room. He just immediately pulls out a pretty sizable handgun and starts firing at the dad, who immediately grabs his handgun out of his belt and starts firing back recklessly. The daughter comes running down the stairs, grabs the boyfriend and pulls him away. The dad is saying, I didn't hit Zoe, did I? Is Zoe okay? Father of the year here, shooting out his own daughter. (laughs) 
like well, recklessly. On one hand, he had no choice but to start shooting because someone was shooting at him. But he was kind of reckless about it. He could have shot his wife. He could have shot his son. He could have accidentally shot the daughter. He's lucky that nothing happened besides killing the boyfriend. I feel like this guy did not go through the required gun safety course no. when he purchased those things. I don't think any of them did. I stole them last purge night. <laughs> he could have, actually. Well, who knows what the gun laws are like if something like the purge is legal. So maybe it's not that hard to get guns. <laughs> At this point, the homeless guy sees that this is like a chaotic, crazy place. Some guy just got shot. He runs off. After all of this Wild West style action, after the dust settles, they look around and they realize that the stranger they just let into the house and they don't know anything about him has disappeared. Yeah. He's off raiding their pantry and stealing their pasta. <laughs> and at this point, I think we should note that this house is enormous. Labyrinthian. Throughout the movie, they lose people in their own home. <laughs> Repeatedly. I didn't get any scope of how big it actually was. If I had to draw a map of this thing, I don't know how this well, was place was laid out. Big. Plus, they just put an addition onto yeah, their house. It was so. huge. Oh, I thought they hired new addition to come play at their house. <laughs> no, it was One Direction. If I was describing this house, I would say it's Apple's headquarter-ish. <laughs> like this house might... They basically live in Cupertino. There's no suicide nets, though. <laughs> The family decides to regroup by going back to the surveillance room. Their headquarters. So it's the mom, the dad, and the son. They, the daughter has run off. She is in the wind. She's in the mist. She turned into a vampire and she floated she's out really of the room. Really in the mist. <laughs> exactly. So the dad decides he's got to go out and find his daughter. He goes wandering around and instead stumbles upon the boyfriend's dead body. He's been shot in the stomach and he died, ruining their carpets. <laughs> it's like they can't afford new carpet, though. Now they blew all their money on the new edition. They're, <laughs> they're broke. <laughs> no, he, no, he didn't buy the boat yet. For the boat. You don't know that. He might have hit buy it now. He might have hit the buy it now button. <laughs> Instead of add to cart. Yeah. yeah. The money has already left their account. <laughs> it's at this point that a group of purgers show up. They are all angry. They surround the house. They look crazy. They're wearing long, flowy, white Heaven's Gate robes and Nike the shoes. Are, yeah. And they're wearing these creepy action figure looking masks. They look like Stretch Armstrong masks or something. They're just sort of like exaggerated features. You know, no, you know what they look like? The ex-president's masks from yes. Point Break. Yes, like they just do. the face feature. These exaggerated nose and cheeks and chins and mouths is just like exaggerated. The leader starts talking to one of the surveillance cameras. Basically, they were hunting down this homeless guy. Yeah. They wanted to purge, as is their right. And they demand that this family stops harboring this filthy pig of a human being who doesn't really have a right to live. Nobody's going to miss him anyway. Killing this guy is their right. And they say that if this family doesn't turn over their kill, basically, like they're hunting a fox in a forest, <laughs> then they're going to break down the barricades and kill everyone inside of the house. Seems like a pretty cut and dry situation to me. Either everybody dies or just this one guy dies. Right? I don't know about you guys, but I really believed everything this guy said. Like when he said that they could break down the barricades, I believed him. Well, even the dad did. The dad yeah. was like... The mom freaks out. She's like, what do you mean they can get in? Don't you sell these things? Aren't they supposed to be safe? Yeah. And he was saying like, it's only meant to look intimidating. It's not really going to be effective at keeping them 100% safe. Yeah, he said something like it's not built for worst case scenarios. We have safe rooms now. You can build yourself a safe room now. Yeah. Why doesn't this house have a safe room? 
You know, I just had this thought. It's like they can't be bothered to be restricted to one room for an entire evening. They want to have full free range of their entire home because you could just install the panic room, right? And not well, have to do the rest of You it. could do that, but then you would leave the entire rest of your home vulnerable True. to getting broken Vandalized. into, stolen, burnt down. I mean, somebody could set fire to the house. You're stuck in this room with no real way to escape. You might suffocate. You might yeah, that's die. True. But I would think you'd want both. In the same vein, they could have just lit the house on fire and smoked them out. Yeah. Instead, what they do is they cut the power. I don't know how they cut the power because yeah. the streetlights are still on. If they sever the power lines right into the house, which trying to sever their power lines by yourself, you would pretty much die of electrocution. It's not an easy thing to do. Well, witchcraft is illegal the other 364 days a year, but this day witchcraft is. All right. <laughs> so, so they unloaded their giant metal cauldron, threw some eyes of Newton there. and They magic the power off. <laughs> yeah, a wizard a did it. <laughs> Then the family forms their plan. They're going to do exactly what these guys want. They're going to track down the homeless guy and tie him up and turn him over to the purgers. Yeah, they're going to track him in their own home because that's how freaking big the house is. Yeah, Send they out search parties. have absolutely no skills to track this guy. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't even know how to handle their guns properly. <laughs> Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. It's Guns 101. So what the kid does, he gets his drone thing. and Timmy. Then he Yeah, he drives Timmy over there and he's blinking the lights. And the homeless guy sees this and is like, nope. And he turns around. Well, the kid keeps blinking the lights at him. So finally, the homeless guy like looks at it. And then he drives it away to the kid's hiding space so that the homeless guy can go there. Yeah, this kid has a little George Bluth style hidey hole where he's all stocked up on tubes of glisten. Glisten and boil in a bag meals. And maternity clothes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's behind a closet in some place with some flimsy board that props up against a wall. And basically, it's the same as a security system. It's just meant to not draw attention. It's very small, too, I would say, because you can basically just sit in it. You wouldn't be moving around. It's not really obvious. Like, if you went into the closet and you looked around, like, you would have to really look. Yeah, be you have to be to looking it. for it to find Disguised it. This guy pretty well. The dad is wandering around the house. He goes past the front door where the leader of the group is grinning like a maniac at him. And the power's out, so you can't see anything. The dad's trying to negotiate his way out of getting killed, basically. He's a typical salesman. He thinks he can talk his way into anything. One of the leader's friends interrupts him and starts screaming at him, just give us the fucking guy or we're going to kill you. The leader pulls out a gun and shoots his friend in the head. No hesitation. Didn't even flinch. Clearly he doesn't give a shit. He will kill anybody. He even apologized and said, I'm really sorry. I don't condone that. That type of behavior and this guy is my friend imagine what i would do to you yeah that was pretty threatening this kid needs a psychiatrist <laughs> more than anything else so it flashes back to the sun he's got his oculus rift on the daughter shoves her face into the camera and yet oh, another yeah. jump scare <laughs> she says that she's got her boyfriend's gun and that she's safe she's going to hide in the guy's i don't know hidey hole spider hole whatever she calls it they had some kind of weird nickname like they all knew about this kid's weird little space and they all just kind of accepted it you know what i mean yeah i was sort of like part of his personality So she's going to hide in this little hidey hole, which, by the way, is the same place where this homeless guy was just stashed. So obviously, this is going to be trouble. Little trouble in big mansion. (laughs) It flashes back to the dad. He's wandering the halls, and he comes across the homeless guy who's holding the daughter captive with a gun pointed to his head. And the dad tries to talk his way out of this again. He's saying, like, you're going to die either way. Just do the honorable thing and spare us and our family. While they're having this conversation, you can see that the wife has crept up on this guy. and She's got the gun pointed on his back. So this guy's dead to rights, right? That's it. It's a done deal. Yeah. Wrong. She manages to fuck it up. (laughs) 
he like does a karate judo chop and knocks the gun out of his hand and then levitates in the air like Trinity in the Matrix and kicks I them both really out. I couldn't really see what happened because it was, it was dark. dark. It was just like a and scuffle. And so much was going on. Yeah. Because then the mom was like behind. And the daughter was falling on the ground. They were and trying the to And the camera's shaking like, all over the place and Jason Bourne is in there stabbing people with a pencil. I think I saw Inspector Gadget in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so basically at the end of the scene, the homeless guy got shot in the stomach and like somebody cracked a vase over his head or something and he's knocked out. He's knocked out. The daughter is unconscious because her head got slammed into a wall. Everybody else is fine. The mom and dad, they start taping up his arms and legs and they're going to prop him up in a chair and drag the chair outside. And they're frantic. I mean... Also while they're doing that, Charlie's like, Dad, please stop it. Please don't do it. He's really upset and trying to talk them out of it. The dad is trying to praise everyone and keep, keep everything going. calm. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Look at me. Focus on me. While they're tying him up, we see this homeless guy is wearing dog tags. So you see that he is a soldier or he was or a soldier. Or or something. Yeah, which adds a little bit of dimension to his character. Not much. Like he goes from a eighth of an inch thick piece of cardboard to like a quarter of an inch thick <laughs> piece of cardboard. This guy wakes up and starts struggling in the middle of them trying to strap him to a chair. The dad's holding him down and he tells the wife to go over to the desk and get his letter opener. So she gets the letter opener and she walks over to him and uh. she starts pressing the letter opener into his bullet wound. And then Charlie's uh. like, no. This is and such it, a gross scene. And I think going I was in, like it's screaming. The squishing noise, it's like... Oh. And the guy is screaming. And something about being stabbed in the bullet wound makes him immediately compliant and they wrestle him into the chair. Yeah. So at some point during this kerfuffle, when they're <laughs> taping this poor homeless man up and during trying the, to... During all the hullabaloo. <laughs> they're trying to tape him into a chair. The wife kind of looks at her husband and she says, what are we doing? What's happening? And she has this moment of clarity where I think she's disgusted oh. by what's happening. While he's like getting the letter opener shoved into his wound, the daughter like wakes up. She sees what's happening. She just closes her eyes again. She's like, nope. I don't want to deal with this. She just closes them again. That's what I would do. <laughs> So she starts talking to the husband and kind of like snapping him out of his frenzy. They decide that they cannot do this. They cannot relinquish this homeless guy to the crazy people outside. After all of this, the daughter regains consciousness and she looks like a zombie. She, You know what it is? She looks like somebody who's possessed. She says something like, none of us are going to be fine. And she's pale and her eyes are glassy. And this is, again, them stealing a stereotype from a different movie, from a different story. We're supposed to be off put by the fact that she looks so weird and she's making these predictions about the future. She's forecasting their own doom. But it's meaningless. It's out of place in this movie. I sort of thought that when she opened her eyes and saw what her parents were doing, she ended up closing her eyes again because it was one of those things where you can't unsee what I just saw. It's not going to be fine. We still did this. It's kind of like after you visited Flavortown and have you eaten their buffalo chicken blasters? You don't know the horrors. Guy Fieri's restaurant is actually really good. I had like a pulled pork sandwich there. When did oh, you go Vegas? to Guy Fieri's restaurant? They have one in Vegas. And then my Wait, mom's- so you've been to Flavortown? I've been to Flavortown. <laughs> So the Purge group is about to break in. This is when the dad decides to follow the mom's lead. And instead of handing the homeless guy over, what they're going to do is they're going to fight back. He sends a son to the basement. With a gun. Yeah. This kid doesn't know how to handle a gun. <laughs> I mean, he could build a gun into his drone and set it off remotely, but yeah. he doesn't know how to shoot a gun. I'm not really sure anyone in this family knows how to shoot a gun. So they're going to fight off the Purge group. That's what they're going to do. They're going to have themselves a good old-fashioned shootout, Tarantino style. Yeah. So the group of psychopaths outside, the 4 by 4 lifted trucks from their bro friends, finally show up the things that they've been threatening this whole time. Yeah. They chain them up to the doors and windows and yank them off the house. I don't know how they would chain them up because these look like pretty flat pieces of metal to me. Yeah, I don't understand how they did it, but they did it. <laughs> it's Billy Mays. Like, remember that purple putty? 
<laughs> they saved some of that from like 2007. Maybe they used OxyClean. Uh, OxyClean stain fighting force. <laughs> they screamed that while they broke down the windows. <laughs> OxyClean stain fighting force. It's like Billy Mays gang. <laughs> From this point on, it's basically just a standard shootout movie. The dad's wandering around. He manages to shoot four guys. He gets into a kerfuffle with the leader. <laughs> There's some hullabaloo happening. Yeah. And uh, the leader stabs the dad in the stomach. That was a shocker. The dad had just shot like three or four of the bad guys. And then he was coming out the door and just got like shanked by the and then leader. After the guy stabs him and you know the dad is like crumbling down. He kisses the dad's forehead and then walks out. <laughs> oh, and says, like, thank you for making this an unforgettable night or a wonderful purge or something. He kisses his forehead. <laughs> Why'd you do that? That's why he killed him. He just wanted to kiss him the whole time. Meanwhile, while this is happening, the kid is in the surveillance room. He's watching the monitors and he sees that some of their neighbors are picking off people from the purge group. The wife is in a different part of the house trying to fight off two separate crazy prep school kids. And the neighbors show up and gun down both of those people. And Seems like they're coming to rescue her. The leader guy is in some room threatening somebody and the daughter shows up and shoots him a couple of times and he falls over dead. And the wife says to the neighbors, thank you, you saved us. Thank you so much. The neighbors say something along the lines of, you shouldn't be thanking us. We're here for you. Then they really turn the tables. <laughs> they flip the script. They reveal that they're there to kill that entire family. And they're a little disappointed that the father's already expired. This lead, like... Um, lead bitch. This lead woman. This uh, Sarah Palin XB. This little blonde ditty named Grace is sort of the leader of this gang. And she... Nancy Grace. Yeah. <laughs> so she elaborates and says that they're very upset and have been hating them because they've made all this money off their backs. And they're flaunting it in their faces. They're being so petty. Oh, my God. Like, I'm mad that you're making money because I paid you <laughs> to do something for me. What do you think they're going to do with the money? <laughs> They're just really jealous of the extension that they recently put on their home. Is this sort of like a size contest? There is absolutely no ideological rationalization for this. They're just if, being petty. If yeah. they think that wealth should be equal, then they'd be socialists. But they're clearly not socialists because they're in the upper class. They're I not about they spreading the wealth. Themselves. Exactly. The only thing that you can pull from this is that they're just greedy and they're angry at these people for being rich, for succeeding. They're haters. Haters got to hate. Yeah, well, some people just don't like it when anyone around them does a little bit better than them. Yeah, but what these people really should have done was just shake it off. Just shake it off. Yeah, because they were being really petty. I know I've said that like 10 times right now, but like they're mad at them for a really petty reason. They revealed <laughs> that the neighbors were all having a purge party, which is basically just a big old hate-a-thon. Charlie Murphy was there from the Chappelle show just shouting, hate, hate. And when they saw the purge group break down the barricades, they saw their opportunity to cleanse their souls. They keep saying that killing people is a cleansing thing. It's a thing that people do to relieve themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that killing somebody is something that would stick with a person. You'll carry yeah. that weight. <laughs> yeah. Murdering somebody seems like the last thing that you could do that would feel cleansing, that would stick with a person, inspire lots of guilt. But somehow all these people think it's it's a cleansing action. It's going to make them feel better. It's going to make everything better. Well, maybe at first they felt that way because they didn't grow up with this. And then they just got used to it. So now they feel like differently about murder. I think what they're trying to say is acting out your anger and frustration is a way for you to release that anger and frustration. Right. But the problem with that is it still has a hold on you. 
it still forced you to do something. All you've done is actualized your anger and frustration and manifested into the world. To really get over your anger and frustration, you have to process it and make peace with the thing that's making you angry. This is the opposite of what they're doing. They're trying to dominate the thing that's making them angry. It's a very American, very forceful thing to do. Like, oh, you don't, <laughs> somebody's bothering you, kill them. Some country's being a jerk, let's bomb them. Let's just wipe everything off the map and prove that we're the best in the world. Yeah. It's emblematic of a society that's just completely run off the rails. It seems like all they've done is amplified their inherent hedonism up to 11. You're angry at somebody? Well, now you're allowed to kill them. Take whatever they have and do whatever you want. It's all about you. Just do whatever you want to do. Well, they've already been doing the purge here for over five years. And they've increased their employment rates. They've decreased poverty. They've right. decreased crime. So in some way, this seems that the purge is working to okay. improve society. But so who's more likely to have unemployment? Who's more likely to be impoverished or commit crime? Yeah, it's the true. It's typically the... And they say this thing is working this way, but I can think of no logical way that killing the lower class will boost the economy because let's say you'd kill off everybody who picks produce. Who's going to pick your produce now? That food's just not going to get delivered to the people who, who are hungry. Yeah, it seems more like they're just trying to get rid of them more than help them. And even if you kill unemployed people so that unemployment is technically low, that the number of available jobs matches the number of people who are willing to work those jobs, those unemployed people still buy things. They still contribute to the economy. When you eliminate them, you're eliminating consumers, which decreases the, the need for products, which will then further decrease the need for jobs to produce those products. Well, keep in mind, this is only a 12-hour period once a year, so you're not doing like a mass genocide or a mass cleansing. It seems it's like culling, it is a mass. More of a culling. Yeah, that's the idea, is that you're thinning the herd. You're getting rid of the weakest members of the herd, mm -hmm. right? But it seems like what they're trying to claim are the effects of this don't make any logical sense sense there's no way that, that the country could be like a, a economically productive if you eliminate a large section of the working class i don't know if this would work but this is what they've presented to us so you know what this is it's a republican tea party wet dream this is exactly what they this is their utopia they want to eliminate the poor or get rid of the people who they don't want in a violent self-serving way and somehow make it be a wonderful magical place where everything works out perfectly couldn't you sort of make the opposite argument though in that this is a liberal philosophy because the government has regulated that this is the way you no, behave no because no, at the core of liberal philosophy is take care of our most vulnerable citizens provide equally for everyone this is the opposite of that i suppose but you could say it's a libertarian philosophy low government control individual freedom financial responsibility when are you going to appear on bill maher i guess it's low government control but you could say that it's sort of high government control in a way because the government is what's allowing this to occur but the government is not involved in regulating it there is no regulation but exactly they so there are they are suspending control for an amount of time there's no government control during this 12-hour period yeah i know what you're saying so where were we? So the homeless guy shows up and saves the day. Deus Ex homeless guy. I think it was pretty cool. It was Timmy and they're like, what's that? And then he shot one guy like several times. Yeah, this is yeah. where his military training comes into play. 
basically he saved the family and then he had the gun pointed at all the people and then he told the mom he's like it's your call she's like no i'm not going to kill any of them yeah she makes the decision to spare the neighbors she doesn't want to kill them so what they do instead is they sit at a table and they're going to wait out purge night the mother demands that they're just going to run out the clock on purge night and this homeless guy is doing their bidding he's standing there holding a gun on their captives well he's more casual with it yeah but he's basically acting as their servant he's doing what they want him to do like he's not a person like he doesn't want to just get out of there as quick as possible you know he decides that he's gonna work for them for the next couple of hours while they wait out purge night and then you see his newfound dedication to this family when one of the neighbor ladies tries to grab a gun from the mom oh okay so like she tries to grab the gun he points the gun at her then the mom grabs it and then like she hits grace's head with the butt of the gun she cracks her nose wide yeah, open. Yeah. She like grabs the back of her head and slams it into the table. And then she says, no one else is going to die tonight. And then the sirens go off and purge night is over. Yeah. And the they walk out of the house and there are bodies strewn across the lawn. There's blood practically filling the gutters down the street. And I'm thinking to myself, who the hell cleans this stuff up? <laughs> or how? Because thing. like, if you get blood, I feel like blood on concrete, that... It's going to stain. Yeah. That is going to stain. No amount of OxyClean is going to get that stain out of the driveway. OxyClean stain fighting force. Yeah, you can go in with a ShamWow and scrub all you want. No, that the stain's not coming out. Yeah, the Mr. Clean eraser. comes by. And- is there a separate company who specializes in just cleaning up Purge bodies cleanup? and blood? Yeah. Maybe that's why there's no unemployment, because they need to hire all these people to clean up, to clean up, after, up after, after the purge. Well, maybe during like street Possible. sweeping... It's like a snow plow. <laughs> After you're done purging, we'll purge the filth. And then what do they do with all the bodies? Burn them, I guess? At the end, it said they were holding a vigil, so maybe they have like this mass burial. Yeah. Probably just making it into dog food and sell it to third world countries. Let's be <laughs> honest here. This is why the American economy is boosted, because they have all this free meat they can sell. The only other thing to mention is that over the closing credits, there's this radio broadcast of these people. They're all saying the same thing. This was the most successful purge night. More people have been killed during this night than any other previous purge year. That this is wonderful and it helps our country and you all should be so proud of yourselves. And then in Texas, it was really bad. Or to them, really good. (laughs) 200 people were in a town square simultaneously purging. Oh, yeah. They're all throwing up. Do you think that during purge night, it's just as important to die as it is to kill? Well, in the radio broadcast, they even say, like, thank you for all those who sacrificed your lives. Yeah, they did refer to it as sacrificing yourself. There were a ton of religious undertones to this purge thing. Like, before the neighbors were about to kill the family, they were reciting this... What essentially sounded like a prayer, uh, blessed be our new founding fathers and the purge they enacted. And they were all chanting together. It's like it was a religious ritual. Like it's a spiritual thing for them to kill people. This makes it even weirder. Yeah, it was very weird. Like culty. Exactly. It seems to me like this idea of purging and everybody's participation in it is kind of replacing religion. It's a cultural ideology that people are clinging to that used to be occupied by religion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't know that there is no religion, and I think this could probably work in conjunction with religion. Well, the daughter goes to a Catholic school, judging by her outfit. Yeah. But how could you have Judeo-Christian religions in this society which say, thou shalt not kill, and then have this one night every year where everybody participates in killing or condones killing? I would just think that if you were a part of that religion and you were observant, you would abstain from the purge. 
But through inaction, you're enabling the killing to happen. It's hypocritical, right? Yeah, it would be. But there are many things that are hypocritical that still exist in everyday life. It could be that maybe just the leaders of particular religions would somehow preach that this was acceptable and that might be all it takes. I think that either religions would have to be dramatically modified or completely abandoned in this society. But the, the thing about it is that it doesn't matter if a religious ideology goes out. If people are still clinging to an ideology, they're still blindly following something without thinking about it. Yeah. And it doesn't, from a societal point of view, the impact is pretty much the same. Also, with religions like Catholicism or whatever, that's not mainly in the US. That's like in Europe too. So how would that affect them over there? You gotta think that the rest of the world is watching America do this and condemning them. They're like so stupid. So what would you say the moral of the story is? Like what, what are they trying to tell us? <laughs> I'm not completely sure. It might be like, don't start a fight, but end it or something like that. I don't know. Something deep. (laughs) I think it's a condemnation of violence or killing because they're showing you the terrible side of it. We never really see the supposed good side of this. That's true, except for the fact that over the closing credits, the newscasters and whoever else are just singing the praises of the purge, saying this was the most successful night ever, and America is such a great country because of this. It gives you the impression that nothing is going to change, that no matter how hard you try, like the wife tried to not kill anybody during this night, she made a personal decision for her and her family. Yeah. Nothing is going to change. Nothing's going to get better. And these neighbors who still hate them? They're still there. Yeah, They can just pull this shit again the next year, the next purge night. The daughter even said, like, they're going to kill us next time. The message I got from this movie was that you can't change the world. Don't stick your neck out. Don't take risks because you're just going to get yourself killed. I mean, what brings this heat on the family in the first place? The fact that the son goes out of his way to save this homeless guy. That brings the purge group to their house who break down the barriers, who let the neighbors in. None of this would have happened if they just didn't let that homeless guy into their house. But don't you sort of think that as an audience, we're supposed to watch this and think that this is really terrible and horrible and that we can't let this happen to our own society? Yes, I do think that's what our position is supposed to be as an audience. But then this movie goes on to hammer the point home that nothing is going to change. Things are working out great for society, that everybody loves this even after all the horrors we've just witnessed. So maybe their point is that society is evil. Or something about human nature, I suppose. Everybody's evil except for you, and you should be afraid to lock your doors and buy a gun. (laughs) So what would you have changed to make this movie better? Well, we sort of tossed around a few ideas when we were talking about this earlier. Because the concept of The Purge is such an intriguing idea, it's sort of like you want to see it explored from different angles. And one of the ideas that we had was that you could see the same evening from various perspectives instead of just focusing on one family. I feel like that could have been an interesting take on this. I kind of also wanted to see just some exploration of that concept further, maybe just done through the opening sequence, like shots of other crimes aside from murder taking place. Mm. Because I don't think it would just be murder. Yeah, I was always really annoyed by the fact that this movie focuses so much on murder when they say all crime is legal and they choose to only focus on murder. Yeah, like they could have just given us a few extra shots of some other types of crimes being committed just to sort of... Like stealing? Yeah, like stealing or looting. I don't know. I guess you could do kidnapping or... Driving in a convertible while wearing a toupee. (laughs) Wearing a fedora. Public nudity. Public drunkenness. (laughs) Not lashing your horse to a a pole. (laughs) Vaping. Vaping indoors. Vaping under the age of 18. Or in California, riding a bike in the pool. Oh, talking on the cell phone and in the car. In the pool? Yeah, in California. It's a really outdated law, but it's considered illegal to ride your bike in the pool. It's oh, one of those- in an empty pool. 
I'm not sure. So, Victoria, what would you have changed to make this movie better? I probably would have made some of the rules a little bit clearer. Like, with the paramedic scene, it's like, are they gonna hospitalize people in the hospital? I don't know, maybe just been like a little clearer. So to explore more what the purge means to on all parts of society. Yeah. And that could have been done easily in the little announcement. Or just conversations people have, yeah. or people talking over the radio. That's a or great moment for exposition. Like they zoom in into two people at a coffee shop. They're like, yeah, my dad almost got kicked out of the hospital that night. It's Jerry and George in a coffee shop. Why purge? What's this purge about? Are you telling me you're not gonna purge, Jerry? <laughs> yeah, as for me, I'm pretty much on the same page as both of you guys. I would have liked more social commentary from this movie. Uh, a better story, for one. They really took this premise and squandered it with this home invasion scenario. I would have preferred better characters. I would prefer for them to raise interesting questions. They don't even have to answer them. Just raise interesting questions that people can talk about after the movie. And get rid of that son character. Like, the, oh. He's still got like a sore thumb. He's just weird for weirdness sake. Like, like re- Rewrite him. him. Give him something interesting to do. He- Okay. He was nice, but he kind of lacked common sense. Yeah, and just sense. Like, there was no explanation for him. There are all these quirks that they laid into the story, like they were going to come back to it later, like it was going to be important. And there was no That's follow-up. That's a good point. There was no reason for him to be that weird. So people just have weird kids. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but that's not what you expect from a movie. That's not what you expect when you go see a movie about a home invasion that you're going to have to deal with them having this weirdo Asperger's-y kid. I definitely remember feeling that way on the first time I watched this. Okay, so enough negativity. What did you actually like about this movie? It's a concept you're able to do a lot with. Like, you don't have to focus on one family. Well, I agree with Victoria. I mean, there is a lot to like here. This is still a fun movie. It's still scary. A fun family-friendly movie. <laughs> well, it's not family-friendly, but ages to enjoy. it is fun in a very, like, I guess, violent, dark way. I enjoyed the fact that this was set in a house. As much as I said I would have liked to see more, the fact that they were kind of trapped in a home and people were invading the home did give it a lot of interesting elements. This movie had some interesting camera work. I mean, they were trying to lay on the horror angle thick during this movie. And I really liked the idea, but I really get the impression that they did not know what they had on their hands with this. I don't think they expected it to make as much money as it did to have all these sequels come out and have people really be into it because yeah. it seems like they were not prepared. That could be. For how popular this was going to be. And they kind of like had to play catch up afterwards. I prefer mustard. <laughs> they were getting into some horror scenarios some horror stereotypes in this movie, but I think it was misplaced. I think this is more of a thriller, more of an action concept. It's a great concept. You can apply it to so many different kinds of stories. Like one of the podcasts I listened to was Everything's Better with Batman. I think Everything's Better with The Purge. Throw The Purge (laughs) in the middle of the dark night. Now that's a story. Would Batman go against his no-kill code? No, I I think Batman would go out and try to stop people from killing each other. Like this would be Batman's big night. night. Like a superhero movie during the purge and the <laughs> superheroes are trying to stop people from purging. That, 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 that sounds great to me. But you got to let go of this horror angle. It's not really a great horror story. You know, it's a great concept, but you can't really be afraid of a concept. You have to be afraid of a thing. You have to project your fears onto a thing. I think it sort of creates fear towards other people. Just a general xenophobia. I don't like people who aren't me. I'm afraid of everyone. But that's not something you can really carry with you. And that's definitely not something that evokes entertainment. The concept of people having this brutality and this violence within them, just average everyday people, that scares me. Yeah, I guess. And that's one of the things that this movie is trying to drive at, that killing is a part of human nature. And it's something that we can't deny. We all want to kill. And you might as well find a way to satisfy that. And I have a huge problem with that. 
Yeah, killing is part of human nature, and so is raping and stealing and destroying things. And those are all things that we need to overcome if we're going to grow as a society. The fact that we don't kill each other, we have this implicit agreement to not kill each other, to not steal private property, to work together on certain things, to pay taxes that can help build roads and build schools and fund education, is a reason why we're able to get ahead as a society. Reverting back to our primal nature would just start tearing everything down. Even though it's just one night a year? Absolutely, because it destroys religion for one thing. It'll destroy economy. It upsets the social balance every single year. Every single year. Imagine working at a company and not knowing if any of the people you report to are going to be alive the next day. Not knowing <laughs> if the president is going to be alive the next day. Yeah. That would be hell on That's a company. A That'd be hell on an economy. We need a basic stability in order to function as a society. And this idea that like you could satisfy your bloodlust and let everything out once a year would totally hamper our progress. I mean, if not in the world, at least in this country we'd slowly start reverting back to a third world country where we have warlords and drug dealers who take over everything. The electricity might come on that day and might not. That's where this America with the new founding fathers is headed. So since this is such an open concept and we've all expressed that we enjoy the possibilities, do you have any ideas on future Purge movies that you would like to see or just other cool things that could be done with this concept? I still do like the earlier one where it's like you see the same night as like the first movie, but from like different, different people. perspectives. Yeah, like maybe one is like from the gang that showed up at their house, like them planning and them One from the homeless it. guy's perspective. Yeah, and then maybe one from like the... The neighbor's yeah, like seeing their purge party. I had a couple ideas. I thought it would be really cool to see like a heist movie that happens on purge night. Like this group of yeah, thieves is, is utilizing purge night in order to pull off a big heist that they've been planning for a year. You see them have to deal with all the complications that happen on purge night. I also had this idea of like a community that protects himself against the purge. Like in The Walking Dead, how they have oh, these yeah. big walled off communities. And like a, a group starts laying siege to that community and the community has to come together to protect themselves. I guess it's kind of the same concept of this home invasion thing, but amplified to a larger scale. Yeah. And then I had this other idea of like a purge club. Like not everybody's interested in killing, right? What if you had a club that you enter before purge night and they lock you in for 12 hours and in that club you can do whatever you want, anything short of murder. There's one rule in the club, you can't kill anybody inside <laughs> of the club, but you can like do all the drugs you want, you can do anything that, that's illegal or illicit or that people look down on, like this is your one night to cut loose and there's only one rule. Just don't kill each other. Don't kill each other or like don't do anything that would hurt somebody else and don't kill each other. You can add excitement to that by throwing a killer into the club. Yeah. Like somebody who breaks that rule and starts killing people and they don't know who it is and they have to try to figure out who it is and hunt them down. And it's kind of like a, a murder, like a murder mystery. mystery. Exactly. But set within the confines of this anything goes kind of purge club. That is pretty cool. I thought that would make a great story. But this home invasion thing is just boring. I like the heist one. Like I was saying before, you could take this purge concept and apply it to almost any kind of movie. Like, you could have a detective story during the purge. Some guy has to has to go out and find somebody on purge night because, like, his only lead is that this guy's going to be at this place during purge night. He has to try to find somebody oh, to solve yeah. a mystery. You could, like, you could throw it on a romantic comedy. <laughs> oh, like that Marvel one-shot where they found the thing and then they robbed the bank together. Yeah. You know, oh, how yeah. They, they were, like, a couple. Or, like, Steve Carell, Tina Fey, purge night. <laughs> this is such a fertile concept. You can apply it to so many different kinds yeah, I guess of movies. You really can anything. <laughs> really anything. 
it's really flexible. And I'm glad that they're doing something with it now. I think the sequel is pretty good. And the third movie's coming out soon. I'd love for them to take this concept further and really push the boundaries and see what they can do. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what they do. So how do you think this movie did as a scary movie? What would you rate it? It wasn't really scary. It was more like thrilling, I guess. I don't know, maybe like a two. That's pretty low. Well, it wasn't scary. It was just gross. I don't know. I think I'm going to go three because I felt scared at times. I don't know if it was just jump scares or I'm personally bothered by the concept of people having like murderous capabilities inside of them. I would probably also give it a two like Victoria. I mean, it's not a one. This isn't in Manhunter territory as far (laughs) as scariness. There were some threats. There were some thrills during this movie, but I don't think it's effective as a scary movie, really. I feel like it's like The Shining because The Shining, it didn't really scare you, but it more disturbed you. Yeah. Got under your skin. Yeah. I think The Shining is more disturbing than this. Yeah. Like like the twins and stuff like that. So then what would you rate it as a movie? I still really like this movie. Despite its flaws, I have a good time watching it. And I I still have that same excitement that I felt for it when it first came out. So I'm going to give it a four. Wow, that's high. Oh, my God. That's I high. like it. And I've watched it at least three times now. I still like it. You realize it. that you gave The Revenant a five. This, this movie is one notch below The Revenant. This doesn't have a lot of room on this scale. Yeah. Okay. So for you, it goes The Revenant, Mad Max, The Purge. Yeah. What about you, Victoria? I don't know. Maybe like a three. It was like, okay. I like the Purge Anarchy better. I think that this movie had a great concept, but they squandered it. And I just cannot forgive that. Excellent concept. Poor execution. (laughs) Yeah. So I would give it a two because I don't really think it's worth watching. Skip this movie. Go straight to the sequel. You don't don't need to watch this movie. Oh. That's another nice thing. You don't need to see the first movie to understand what it is. Like, it's very clear what it is. It's a simple concept, really. Let us know what you thought of this movie. What would you change? What did you like about it? What would you give it as a rating? You can hit us up by email, Twitter, or Facebook. So, we got a question in from Mikey B of the Resistance Radio podcast. Oh. Mikey B says, after watching horror films, what movies for you give you the heart racing effect? He says his wife tends to hate cringeworthy scenes. I think what he means is like, what movies stick with you? Session 9 is a highly rated scary movie in my book. I was very disturbed by that. And it definitely gave me that squirmy, scared feeling. It was a little intolerable almost. It made you feel unsafe afterwards? Yeah. Um, the Brony documentary. <laughs> Which one? There's that two. Brony Tale? Yeah, yeah, Brony Tale. That one, um, that one really scared me. I had to watch, like, some Ina Garden afterwards to calm me down. <laughs> My heart was racing. I was really scared. You know, honestly, a lot of scary movies stick with me afterwards, and I kind of have to rationalize it, because a lot of these movies are really good at appealing to your emotional core, you know? Especially through over almost a century, they've spent perfecting this art of unnerving storytelling, but... A lot of them stick with me afterwards, and even though I know that, like, vampires aren't real, my mind goes to, like, oh, yeah, but what if a vampire came in here right now? What would you do? And I get a moment of heart (laughs) fluttering, and then I think, like, ah, you idiot, vampires aren't real. But the one movie that I remember that really gave me... The heebie-jeebies. That really gave me the heebie-jeebies was um, The Ring. Keep in mind that I was young when I saw it, but like the concept of technology will turn against you at any time. And no matter where you are, this thing can still come and get you. It was very new at the time. And also the way that they portrayed 
the girl in that movie. I mean, I know it's cliched and mocked now, the whole J-horror jittery thing, but the way that she would like disappear from, yeah. that she would flash from one side of the room to right in front of you. It's unnerving. It's very unnerving. You think when somebody's away from you, like, at least I have this distance and if they start coming towards me, I can do this. But like, in the blink of an eye, all that safety is gone. It was really unnerving and I remember after seeing that movie, going on my computer and then like the computer stalled out for a second and like the <laughs> screen flashed and then that my heart fluttered. Specifically, I remember that oh, moment. that's pretty awesome. Please stop. There's a few movies that stick with me. I'm not going to go through all of them. But for me, like, disturbing imagery will stick with me. And in The Ring, there's actually some pretty disturbing imagery. Like, when they watch that videotape. Oh, in that movie and in Stirring of Echoes, when they did a close-up of somebody clawing at something and their fingernails oh, snapping oh, off. Oh, God, I hate that so oh, much. Oh, that bugs me. Yeah. Actually, there is one documentary that actually scares me. It was about, basically, there was this 13-year-old boy that went missing. And then in Spain, there was this homeless guy. I, I'm not sure if he was a teenager the or imposter? not. imposter? Maybe. I don't know. Basically, he saw an ad that like, this kid was missing. He was, he was staying in an like, orphanage, and he called the police, and he was saying, that's me. I'm in Spain right now. I heard he looked nothing like their missing yeah. son. Yeah. So what he did, there was a girl there that did tattoo. She had like, a homemade gun, and he had her give him the same tattoo the boy had, and then he bleached his hair so that he looked like the boy. And the family like wanted to believe that it was him, but I think, was it, was it like the brother that killed him? That killed the boy? They never figured it out. There was just speculation that the family had actually killed him, and that's why they were motivated to accept him as the son. You know, the dollop did an episode on this where they they researched past what was in the documentary. They were saying that members of the family were deliberately and forcefully ignoring the signs that this wasn't their kid. And when they were alone, they didn't act the same way. They weren't as accepting of him when they were alone. They were surprised to see him like shocked, like they'd seen a ghost. They did an interview with that guy on the podcast Criminal. And he said that once he saw like how accepting they were of him, because he was nervous to pull this off. Because he knew he he became scared because he thought that they did something to their yeah it became son. really apparent that someone had killed this kid and they were trying to pretend like it didn't happen by accepting this person yeah who was pretending to be their kid who they all knew wasn't their kid he's like who boy i chose the wrong family yeah pretty much i chose the wrong child to impersonate yeah. so what else have you guys seen x-men apocalypse i liked it it was good i liked oscar isaac as apocalypse because I, I think he was good in star wars i watched contagion in science I like that one. That one was really interesting to see, like, the disease spread. And oh, yeah. That was actually a pretty good movie. There were, like, 35 stars in that movie. Yeah, there was a large cast. There was Matt Damon. Wasn't Ben Affleck in there, too? Yeah, him and Ben Affleck were playing renegade angels. <laughs> and then I liked right. how many, like, not subplots, but I thought it was a really interesting movie. I watched a documentary on Netflix recently called Autism in Love, which was really interesting because... They did a series of interviews over a period of time with what I would call highly functioning autistic adults. Some had relationships, some had never had relationships and were very angry about that. I don't know, it was really, it was sort of touching and and interesting and I love documentaries like that. I also recently watched Steel Magnolias, which I caught on Netflix. It's probably been in my queue for about nine years. <laughs> and it just worked its That's way it? to the top. That's only nine years. Only nine years. And I've wanted to watch this movie for a long time because a lot of people revere it. Like or fried seem, green tomatoes. Or seem to talk about how it's very sad and give it a shot. I guess it didn't really hold up to the test of time because it's a very small story, basically, about this little town and georgia some southern state and it's just about like the friendship of all these women in this town and i just i really didn't like it that much and i didn't feel sad about it because for some reason i found the acting disingenuous this is a cheesy 90s movie yeah 
I recently watched the movie Silverado, which is a Western from the 80s. It's got a really surprising cast. Kevin Costner's in it. Danny Glover's in it. Mm. It was good. It was fun. It was entertaining. And the music was good. If you like Westerns, you'd probably like it. I also recently rewatched Rocky. That was shocking. I wanted to see that movie ever since the previews for Creed were coming out because I wanted to like revisit the story. And Wait, Creed is part of the Rocky? Yeah. Oh, man, I watched this when I was a teenager, but it was really surprising how much different <laughs> I interpreted it as an adult. Like Rocky is this giant idiot, <laughs> almost like he's mentally handicapped. Adrian is kind of the same way. She also comes off as somebody who's mentally disabled. And there's a weird pressuring her into a relationship that he does. It's very strange. It's not the movie that I was expecting it to be. (laughs) And the story is simplistic and the underdog angle is simplistic. Speaking of simplistic, I also watched Black Mass with Johnny Depp. If you want a Whitey Bulger story, just watch The Departed. It's not factual, but at least it's entertaining. Black Mass was not factual either. They may have hit on some of the plot points, but by all accounts of everybody who knew him, Whitey Bulger didn't act that way. That's not what he was like. Johnny Depp did a decent job, but the movie itself was kind of boring, kind of old-fashioned in its storytelling. And uh, I think you could skip it. I mean, there's a reason why it wasn't really nominated for any awards. It wasn't very good. Go ahead and skip it. Speaking of skip it, go ahead and skip the walk too. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays this high wire walker who walks across the Twin Towers. The event was interesting, but the way that it was told was cartoonish. That movie was not good. The best part of that movie is the visuals. When he's actually walking across the Twin Towers. If you saw this in theaters, in 3D or IMAX, good for you. Because that was the only time this movie was ever going to be good. I have a little different take on it. I thought it was a kind of a feel-good movie. It was exciting in parts and fun. They tried so hard to make it a feel-good movie that it came off as childish. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is like a cartoon version of a Frenchman. He's like Pepe Le Pew in human skin. (laughs) He's got no internal logic or reason. He just seems to want to walk across this wire and everything else in his life is just, he'll just go with whatever anybody else suggests. I didn't like it. I think JGL could do better. I hope he does better. So that's our show. If you like the show, you can support us by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Frightfully Uninformed. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good rating on iTunes or better yet, leave us a review on iTunes. Podcasts like ours live almost entirely on listener support. So if you like this show, help us by spreading the word. Support your local podcast. (laughs) Shout our name from the rooftops. Get out a bucket of red paint and paint our logo on the rooftops like they did in Batman v Superman. And we'll be over there hovering over you and looking down upon you as you gaze (laughs) lovingly up at us. Get a tattoo that says Fright Pod. Better yet on your face. Write our website on a dove and release it into the wild. (laughs) Help us spread the word. If you want to contact us, you can email us at frightfullyuninformed at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Fright Pod. And you can reach us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash frightfullyuninformed. Tune in next episode where we'll be watching 1932's White Zombie. All right. Back we go. So that's it. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. He's really upset and trying to talk them out of it. And the dad's like, cheer up, Charlie. Things are going to get better. I've got a golden ticket. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? Charlie, Charlie the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Factory. Well, I hear well, golden I ticket, Willy but that Wonka is not the, the song. F- yes. Willy, Willy Wonka, Wonka and the, the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Factory. Jinx.